0: For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you please join me now in prayer? Let's pray together, guys. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is so good, so faithful even when we are so bad and so unfaithful. You are a God who forgives. You are a God who forgets all transgressions and you remember the promises of the covenant of grace, the covenant that says, even when we sin through the work of Jesus, we shall always be your beloved. Father, such beautiful truth is so amazing that we know that it could never come out of the vain imaginations of man, that it is not something that even man's mind could ever capture in the form of a story, in the story of a myth, in the story of even philosophy and ideology. Lord, this is revelation that goes beyond the limits of man's ability to think and to imagine. It comes from the very heart of God. And so, Lord, we come to you this afternoon asking for you to once again to truly pour into our hearts in such a way that we could receive this glorious, cosmic, beautiful, ancient truth And that it would bring forth good fruit out of our lives and that we will be able to live out the very purpose to which you have called us to live out as we live our days on this earth. Lord, would you fill us once again, teach our minds, inflame our hearts, strengthen our spirit so that we could be people who grow up in the gospel so that we can go out with the gospel. Father, we pray that you would bless this message in spite of the messenger who brings it for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so, you know, one of the things that you're going to realize when you start taking your Christian faith more seriously is how often you need to be reminded of things you already know. One of the things that you're going to realize once you start taking your faith more seriously is how often you need to be reminded of things that you already know. You see, there's a common misconception amongst a lot of Christians today, and that misconception basically says this, that in order for me to grow in my faith, in order for me to mature in my faith, I need to be learning new things, right? That's the common conception that a lot of Christians have today. I need to study more Bible. I need to study more doctrine, theology. I need to study more hermeneutics. I need to study more church history. I need to study all these Christian things, because if I learn these things, like if I go to seminary, I'll be more mature, I'll be more wise, I'll be more spiritual. But that's not actually 100% accurate, because even though it is true that learning new things about your faith can actually mature your faith, the vast majority of the time, the way in which we grow is when we actually start believing, start living out the things that we've already known our whole Christian life. You see, the Bible teaches us that the greatest hindrance to our maturing faith is not ignorance. No, the greatest hindrance to our Christian faith is us actually not believing the things that we already know. In other words, we don't believe the things that we've been taught our whole life, whether it's things about ourselves, things about God, things about the world, things about the gospel. We do not live out, we do not trust in, we do not believe in the things that we have known our whole lives. And so with that in mind, I'm actually going to be re-preaching a message that i preached to you guys many times. This sermon... That actually I'm sharing with you this afternoon is actually my fourth time preaching it to you. Now you're thinking, why is Pastor John preaching to us a sermon that we've heard over and over and over and now? The fourth time, over again, because this topic that I'm about to share with you again is the topic that we struggle the most to believe in. This is the one topic that interferes with our maturing faith, and that is the topic of worrying. That is the topic of anxiety. Now, some of you are probably wondering yourself, well, how do you know, Pastor John, that this is the topic, this is the issue that is hindering my faith? How do you know that this is the one topic I need to be reminded of over and over again? And well, I'll tell you why. If you did a tally of all the commands that God gives us in the Bible, do you know what is the most repetitive command that God gives us? Out of all the commands that God is constantly commanding at us with the Bible, what is the one command he tells us over and over and over again? Do you know what it is? It's this. Do not... Be afraid. The one command that God is constantly commanding at us over and over is do not be afraid, or in its other forms, do not worry, do not be anxious, do not fear, do not be afraid. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us a couple things. First of all, if the Bible is written by God Himself, which as Christians we believe, and if God knows us better than we know ourselves, which is also what we believe as Christians, you know what that means? It means every single one of us in here chronically and constantly worry all the time. We constantly struggle with fear. We constantly struggle with anxiety. I don't care if you think you're laid back. I don't care if you think you're a type B person. You know, you have a passive, lazy personality. The fact of the matter is, if you are a human being made in the image of God to which the Bible addresses, to you as followers of Jesus, you struggle with that deep-seated anxiety, fear, worry that all of us struggle with all the time. And if you think about it, you know this is true. Think about those of you who've lived long enough to be able to see past your life. No matter what stage of life that you're in, no matter what your current situation is, worry is one of those things that always follows you. I mean, I can speak for myself when I say this as well. For example, some of you guys are young people, right? You're in college, you're in school, or you're in transition, Are you going to say that worry is not an issue for you? You know, when I was in college, I always worried about grades. I always worried about school. I always worried about getting the scholarship or getting the financial aid. Worry is something that college students know all the time. And if you think you're going to graduate out of worrying once you get out of college, think again. Because once you start worrying, what are you going to be worried about? You'll be worried about finding a job or finding a new job or staying in the job that you're in or finding a job that's better than the one that you're in right now. You know, just because you graduate college doesn't mean you ever graduate from the fear of anxiety. Or just when you find a job doesn't mean that you're not going to worry about other things. You know, when you're single, what do you worry about? You worry about, am I going to be a perpetual bachelor, bachelorette for the rest of my life while all my friends are getting married? You know, showing all their beautiful pictures on Facebook. and not, Am I going to be that proverbial loser who's stuck at home, always single, never to get married, never able to have a life of my own? Or... If you do get married and you have kids, what are you going to worry about after that? When you're parents, you're going to be worrying about your kids. Are my kids healthy? Are my kids living in the best neighborhood? Are my kids going to the best school? No matter where you are in life, it just seems fear, anxiety, and worry is always chasing after you. It's always on your back, which means you can never escape it, which means the battle against anxiety is a battle that you're going to have throughout the rest of your life. We can worry about anything and everything under the sun. This is why we need to hear this message one more time. And probably more than this time. We need to always be reminded why as followers of Jesus, we should not worry, why we cannot worry, why we should never Worry. And so, to talk about this, we're going to revisit a very familiar passage, a passage that you've heard over and over, a passage that you've heard preached at this pulpit many times Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33. And as we look at this passage, Jesus is going to tell us two reasons why we worry and the one reason why we should never worry. And those are the three points for today, which are as follows You believe you are abandoned. That's the first point. You fear a false future. That's the second point. And finally, you are part of the kingdom of God. So the first reason why you worry is because you believe you've been abandoned. The second reason why you worry is because you fear a false future. But the reason why you should never worry according to Jesus is because you're part of the kingdom of God. So with those three points highlighted, let's now jump right in. First, you believe you are abandoned. Take a look again. And how our passage begins in verse 25, where Jesus says the following. He says this, quote, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, when you first read these words of Jesus, you can't help but to be a little bit taken aback, almost shocked. Maybe even offended to what he is saying here because it almost sounds like Jesus is trivializing the reality that we need food and clothing. To live, right? Food and clothing is not some, you know, superficial, extracurricular thing that we need to make life more pleasant. No, food and clothing is a basic necessity of life. Isn't that what Maslow teaches us in the hierarchy of needs, right? Food and clothing is very, very important. And yet when you read Jesus' words here, it almost sounds like he's trivializing that as if it's not that important or it's not that significant. I mean, imagine for a moment you saying what Jesus says to us in this passage to a homeless guy who hasn't eaten for four days. Imagine saying to this homeless guy, hey, man, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, can you imagine how insensitive, how cruel you may sound to that person? I mean, you see where I'm getting at? At best, Jesus sounds completely clueless. At worst, he sounds completely careless to the gravity of our needs. We need food. We need clothing. So why does Jesus sound so indifferent, sound so cold, so callous? Again, verse 25, he asks, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You hear that and you're like, gosh, Jesus sounds like a jerk, right? Wrong. Wrong. You need to understand something, okay, and I want you to listen very carefully. You need to understand something very clearly. Jesus is not criticizing our need for food and clothing. Okay? He is not criticizing us for our need for food and clothing, but what he is criticizing us is our worrying over food and clothing. Let me say that again. Jesus is not criticizing us for our need for food and clothing. Rather, he's criticizing us for our worrying over food and clothing. Okay? Because your need for food and clothing, that says something about you that's true. Namely what? You are a creature with needs. Right? But your worrying over food and clothing. That says something about God. That is not true, and that is what Jesus is criticizing. Here's the question. What does our worrying say about God that is not true? Well, in order to answer that question, let me give you this illustration from an old movie. Back in 1968, where none of you existed, (laughs) there was a movie that came out called Oliver. Anyone in here see the musical Oliver, 1968? Won Best Academy Award in the Oscars back then, right? Pick it up on Netflix. It's really, really entertaining. But basically, it's a musical. And let me just give you a a rundown of the opening scene. The movie opens with a massive cafeteria, a huge cafeteria, when without warning, all these kids, like hundreds and hundreds of kids, start marching into the cafeteria in uniform formation. And as they're marching in, they're singing a very catchy tune called Food, Glorious Food. Let me read to you a couple lyrics from the song that they're singing as these kids are are walking into the cafeteria. It goes like this, food, glorious food, what we wouldn't give for that extra bit more. That's all that we live for. Why should we be fated to do nothing but brood on food, magical food, wonderful food, marvelous food, fabulous food? Now, as you're watching the movie, they're singing this song with this yearning on their face because it looks like these kids... Haven't eaten for days. And there's a reason why these kids haven't eaten in a while. Because in this movie, all of these children have one thing in common. You know what that is? They're orphans. They're orphans. Right? These kids are worried about food not simply because they are hungry, but primarily because why? They have been abandoned. They're orphans. They've been abandoned by the very people who are called to love, to protect, to nourish, and to provide for them. And that right there is what Jesus is criticizing when we worry. Because when we worry, that's essentially how we view ourselves and that's how we view God even when we worry. Because when you worry about your life, whether it's worrying about your family, worrying about your job, worrying about your future, you know what you're doing through that act of worrying? You are essentially communicating to God and you're communicating to yourself this message. God has abandoned me. God doesn't care about me. God could care less. I am like an orphan. He has just thrown me out into the trash. That is what you're worrying is communicating to yourself and what you're communicating to God. You're saying, God, you don't care about me. Which means when you read the Bible and you read all these promises that God gives us, like he is for you, I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love. I shall always be with you till the ends of the earth. You read that, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, right, right? Because when you worry, you are essentially communicating what you really believe. And what you really believe is not what Scripture says. No, what you really believe is, God, you don't care. You have thrown me out like the trash. You have abandoned me. And that belief is what Jesus is criticizing because it's that belief that causes you to worry. Listen to how one theologian, actually a a teacher of the Bible, a woman by the name of Elsa Fitzpatrick, how she describes, she says this in one of her books, quote, The Lord equates our worry with a lack of faith. Why does the Lord say that worry is unbelief? Because it has its roots in doubts about God's character. It questions his fatherly care and provision. When I worry about what's going to happen to my life, what I'm really saying is, God, you can't handle this. You're either too weak, uninterested, unloving, or not smart enough to take care of my life. I've got to devote all my attention to sorting this situation out on my own. Now, what is she saying in this quote? What is she saying? She's saying that the primary reason why you and I worry is not because of a certain need, whether it's a crucial need or another vital need in life. It's not because those needs are not being made. No, the reason and the main reason why you worry is because you have a false belief about God. You believe God is not there for you. In other words, you believe God has abandoned you. Or if I could put it this way, worrying doesn't happen when you have nothing to eat. Worrying doesn't happen when you are naked. Worrying doesn't happen when you are in danger. No, worrying happens and it only happens once you start believing this lie that says God has abandoned you. Case in point, do you guys know right now where the church is growing the most in this world right now? Do you guys know where there is massive conversion, massive uh change in people's lives where they're joining the church by millions and millions according to missiologists the two parts of the world where the church is growing the most where there is practically revival everywhere is two areas south america and africa those are the two regions of the world where the church is growing where millions upon millions are converting to the faith and they're fully radically devoted to jesus here's the thing about these two regions of the world They also happen to be the two regions of the world where you see massive violence, where you see massive poverty, and you see so much instability like famine and broken families. And yet that's the same area amongst the same people who are converting to Christ and loving Christ and devoted to Christ than any other group of people in the world. How do you explain that? How do you explain people who are starving, naked, and living in dangerous areas to where they have such faith in God... That compared to us, they don't worry about anything. How is that possible? The only possible explanation is very profound. And to begin explaining, let me tell you a story. In her book, When God Weeps, a woman by the name of Joni Erickson Tada tells a story of how one year she went on a mission trip to Africa. And when she went to Africa, she visited a particular village that was very unique, unlike any other village. Because this village was made up of all orphans. Okay. But these are not just ordinary orphans in Africa. These are orphans who either due to birth defect or to the devastation of war were orphans with missing limbs. That means they had no arms, no legs, they had no family, and they were basically living in open exposed areas on concrete with no houses, no food or anything. Okay? And this woman Joni Erickson Tata, she took her organization called Joni and Friends Jaff, and what she does is she sends out used wheelchairs that people donate so she can give to kids like these orphans in Africa. And when she went on this particular trip, she met a beautiful young 11-year-old named Ama. Ama is a young 11-year-old with no arms, crippled legs, right, And yet she has a radical devotion to God. This girl has such faith in God that just blows everyone in the Western world to shame. I mean, this girl loves, loves Jesus. She was so moved by this girl, Ama, that by the end of the day, she asked the pastor who ministers to all these orphans this question, Pastor, who takes care of Ama? I mean, she is only 11 years old after all. Who takes care of Ama when it rains? Because none of them live in homes. You know what the pastor said to Joni, Erickson Tata? This is what the pastor said. God takes care of her. God takes care of her. As soon as the pastor said that, this is what Joni Erickson Tata was thinking. This is what she writes in her book. She says this, quote, Oppressive heat, people penniless, a girl with no hands, no legs to walk, no bed, and not even a fan living on concrete. It doesn't sound like God's doing a very good job. But then at that moment I recalled something a boy who lived in a box by the trash heap said to me earlier that evening. Quote, you Westerners are the ones we can't understand. God has given you so much. You have been so blessed. Why are so many people in your country so unhappy? Do you hear how worry-free this kid sounds? Like, what do you have to be worried about? What he's really asking is, how can you ever be more worried than lust? How is it possible that orphans who are literally starving, who are literally naked, who are constantly in danger, how can children like this have such robust faith in God even though none of their vital needs are being met? How can these kids not worry the way we always worry all the time? The only possible explanation is worrying is not the result of our vital needs not being met because here you see evidence of kids who don't have their needs being met and yet they don't worry. Which means the only reason and the only reason why you worry is because it has everything to do about how you view God. Specifically how you incorrectly view God. Worrying always happens when you believe that God has abandoned you. Which conversely means if you don't believe God has abandoned you, if you think God is always for you and that God loves you in his heart of hearts, you could be starving, you could be naked, you could be in danger. And yet you will never worry. There's something about knowing And believing that God is for you, that God loves you, that he's always with you. That even when you're starving and naked or alone, you're fearless. Something about God. Now some of you are hearing this and you're not convinced. You're not convinced with what I'm saying because you honestly believe that the reason why you worry has nothing to do with God which means you don't agree with what I'm saying. You don't agree that one of the main reasons why you worry is because you believe God is against you. You think your worries have nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the fact that you have needs that aren't being met, whether it's food, clothing, job security, love, marriage. And you genuinely believe that the only way you can stop worrying is so that you can be confident in knowing that all these needs will always be met. If that's how you honestly feel, let me try a second attempt to convince you Otherwise, And this leads me to my next point, which is the second reason why we worry so much. You fear a false future. Starting in verse 26, Jesus says this. Listen again to what he says. Look at the birds of the air. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Here Jesus uses two interesting illustrations, birds and lilies, flowers, to illustrate for us another reason why we always worry, okay? The illustrations of the birds and the flowers all teach a common principle that causes us to worry all the time. And they both have to do with our perception of the future. Let me explain what I mean. Consider what Jesus first says about birds. Listen again to what he says in verse uh, 26. He says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Why is he bringing up birds in his discussion of worry? Well, think about it. Think about birds for a moment. Birds, and I'm sorry if there's any bird lovers in here, if any bird watchers, okay? But I'm sorry to tell you the biological truth. Birds are dumb animals, okay? Birds have the brain size of a pea, Some of you are like, no, yes, it's true. Birds are not brilliant animals, far from it. That's why when someone calls you a bird brain, they're basically saying in an insult way, you're not very smart. Okay, it's not like, oh, thank you for a flattering comment. No, they're insulting you. Okay, when someone calls you a bird brain, that means you're not very smart. And why are birds not so smart? You know why? Because they're not capable of planning. And what I mean is they're not capable of envisioning and preparing for what's to come. They can't think ahead. They don't have the brain capacity to imagine what's coming. They can't plan for the future in other words, right? If they're hungry, they just go out and get worms. If they're cold, they just fly to warmer climates. That's all that they can do. Birds are not smart animals. But human beings on the on the other hand, compared to birds, we're much smarter than they are. You know why? Because we can plan. We can anticipate what's to come. We can plan for the future. Right? That's what Jesus is implying with this reference to this farmer right? who puts his food in the barn house and, and sows and so forth. A farmer, in order for him to do his work, in order for him to survive, he has to be able to plan. He has to anticipate what's to come. He has to think about what's coming in the future. So, for example, if he wants to have food for his family in the wintertime where there is no growth in vegetation, what does he do? In the springtime, he makes sure he plants and sows. So that when the fall happens, he's able to harvest. So when winter comes, he has food on the table. A work of a farmer is really the prime example of what human beings are capable of. We're able to think ahead. We're able to plan. We're able to anticipate what's to come. So it influences how we live our lives right here, right now, in the present. But here's the point that Jesus is making. Even though we, generally speaking, are smarter than dumb birds, Jesus is saying, when you as a Christian worry, you're acting dumber than a dumb bird. Why? Because when you worry, you are envisioning a false future. That's why. See, birds are not as smart as us because of the fact they can't think of the future. But Jesus says that's still far smarter than you, Christian, thinking about a future that is so gloomy, so doomed through your worrying that it's never going to happen. One of my seminary professors once put it perfectly when he once said this. He said this, you know what worriers are, people who chronically worry? You know what they are? They're like false prophets in the Bible. Do you guys know what a false prophet is? If you ever read the Bible, there are tons of false prophets throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And one of the things that false prophets would do is that they would always predict a false future, right? Typically, they would be kind of like those weird people on the streets, you know, in the city with those massive signs, Judgment Day is going to happen July 4th, 2017. And everyone's freaking, oh, could it really happen? And then July 14th happens or 17th happens and nothing, right? That's a false prophet. There were like people like that in the Bible in a sense. That is what you're doing when you worry. Because when you're worrying, you're acting like a false prophet. You're predicting a personal doomsday, a personal apocalypse coming your way. And you start freaking out. Let me give you some examples of what this looks like. Let's say for those of you who are in school, right, a professor comes up to you and he says, pop quiz, pop quiz, and you're like, oh, right? You take the pop quiz, you fail the pop quiz. This quiz that counts for 2% of your grade. A normal person is like, okay, this is 2% of the grade. That's okay, I can live with that. It's a pop quiz. But if you're a worrier, you know what you're going to think? Oh, my gosh, I just failed this quiz. Goodbye, law school. Goodbye, you know? med school goodbye getting married to a woman who would be drawn to me because of my successful career you know and you're going to imagine that you're going to be living with your parents throughout the rest of your life eating nothing but cheerios and grapes or something right well how about those of you who are already working you know you have a situation where at work you hear that one of your co-workers got let go you have no idea why they let go you know maybe they found a better job and they got let go because of it but you don't know you know, a normal, normal person is like, okay, the you know, co-worker got, Ray got let go. Okay, I better make sure that I'm doing my job better. But you know what a worrier would do? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe Ray just got let go. I must be next. Oh, no, I'm going to have to live with mom and dad again, you know. My wife hates my mother and they're not going to get along, you know. And I'm going to be stuck on the streets. I'm going to have to beg for food. Worrying is like a prophet that's gone wild a false prophet that's gone on wild, right? You just envision this worrisome future that's filled with gloom and hopelessness. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that because when you do, you are acting dumber than a bird because even a bird knows better to predict a false future. When you are acting this foolishly, you're so dumb. Don't be dumb like that. Now, some of you are hearing this and you want to get a little defensive, right? You want to justify yourself a little bit because you have a chronic tendency to worry. You want to justify and defend your tendency to worry all the time. And Jesus knows that some of you are tempted to do this, which is why he says what he does next in, in verse 28 and 29. Listen to what he says. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. What is God talking about here? What is Jesus talking about here with Solomon? You know, he's talking about worry and how we shouldn't be like dumb birds or dumber than dumb birds, right? But then he kind of shifts gears, and in this conversation of worrying, he brings up Solomon, What's up with that? Now, for those of you who aren't sure who Solomon is, those of you who didn't grow up going to church, Solomon was considered one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. And politically, hands down, he probably was the most successful king that Israel ever had. And the question is, what does King Solomon have anything to do in this discussion about worrying? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 29. What does he say about Solomon? He says, Solomon in all his glory. In some translation, it actually says, Solomon in all of his fame. Bible question, guys. Bible pop quiz. You ready? (laughs) What is Solomon most famous for in the Bible? Do you know? What is he most well-known for in the whole Bible? What distinguishes Solomon? You know what distinguishes Solomon? Solomon was considered the wisest man that ever lived, right? He prays for wisdom. God gives him wisdom. Solomon is always known for his fame. His glory has been about his wisdom, how wise he is. Okay, so with that in mind, why is Jesus bringing up the wisdom of Solomon and how does that fit in the context of worry? What is Jesus' point? Here's his point. Jesus is basically saying this. Even if you were the wisest person in the world, like Solomon, even if you were the smartest person in the world, like Solomon, it doesn't change the fact that because you worry, you are dumber than a flower. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Let me say that again. Even if you were the wisest person in the world, like Solomon, even if you were the smartest person in the world, it doesn't change the fact that when you worry, you are dumber than a non-sentient organism, like a flower. You see, people tend to think that they're worrying, even though it's a pain in the butt, even though it makes them frustrated, they almost feel like, you know what, it's kind of a necessary evil living in this world. Right? They, t- they tend to try, to try to look at the silver lining behind worrying. You know, I know worrying stresses me out. I know worrying can be troublesome to my health. But you know what? In the end of it, it's kind of worth it because what am I doing when I'm worrying? I'm preparing for the worst case scenarios, right? I'm strategically thinking through the worst possible case scenarios so that when it comes on me, I'm on top. I'm not conquered. I win on top, you know? I'm preparing, Isn't that wisdom, Pastor John? Aren't I being a wise person, preparing for the worst case scenarios? You know, better safe than sorry kind of mentality? I mean, that's how a lot of people justify their worrisome tendency, their type anus. Like, you know what? Yeah, I worry, but you know what? I make sure that the worst case scenarios could never happen because I'm ready for it. I'm prepared. To which Jesus responds, no. (laughs) You're not preparing for anything. You're just being dumb. Why? Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon, a London preacher. He says this, because I think it's so powerful. Listen to this quote. He says this, quote, "...many of God's people are constantly under apprehensions of calamities which will never occur to them, and they suffer far more in merely dreading them than they would have to endure if they actually came upon them. In their imagination, there are rivers in their ways, and they are anxious to know how they shall wade through them or swim across them. There are no such rivers in existence." But they are agitated and distressed about them. They stab themselves with imaginary daggers. They starve themselves in imaginary famines and even bury themselves in imaginary graves. Such strange creatures are we that we probably smart more under blows which never fall upon us than we do under those which actually do come. The rod of God does not smite us as sharply as the rod of our own imagination does. Our groundless fears are our chief tormentors. What is he saying? He's saying that worry that you think prepares you for the worst case scenarios doesn't prepare you at all. You know what worrying is like? Worrying is like studying for an exam that you don't have to take. Worrying is like learning a language that nobody speaks. Worrying prepares you for nothing. Why? Because the circumstances and situations that you think you're preparing for doesn't even exist in this reality. That's what Spurgeon is saying, and that is also what Jesus is saying. In other words, the situations and circumstances that you think could happen to you, that you worry about, won't happen to you. Why? Because the world where those situations or circumstances exist does not exist. That world does not exist. And do you realize what that means? It means when you worry, what are you essentially doing? You are mentally abandoning the real world, which also means you are abandoning the one who made this real world. Let me say that again. When you worry, you are mentally abandoning the real world you live in, which also means you're abandoning the one who created the world you really live in. See, even though if the worst case scenarios happen to you, you go hungry, you go unemployed, You get sick that you can't recover from. In your imagination, it's much worse. Why? Because in that imaginary world where you abandon God, there is no God in that mind of yours, right? There is no God, a loving God who is always with you and never forsakes you. That's why you worry. That is the genesis of which causes you to worry the way that you do. As soon as a Christian starts imagining a false reality where they anticipate a false future... They abandoned the real world and they also abandoned the one who made this real world. And as soon as you abandon God, as soon as you abandon the idea that there is a God who cares for you, who loves you, who will never forsake you and is always with you, that is when you worry. See, when people worry, that worry assumes that God has abandoned them, as I said in my first point. But what I'm trying to tell you now we worry because we abandon God in the way that we imagine the worst case scenarios through our worrisome thoughts. Do you guys now see that what I'm saying in my first point is absolutely true? Do you guys understand that worrying has nothing to do with your vital needs not being met, whether it's a need for a job, a need for love, a need for food, whatever? No, the real reason, the ultimate reason, and the only reason why you worry is because you have bought into the lie that God has abandoned you. But again conversely if you hold on to the belief that God is always with you, that he'll never forsake you, the world could throw its worst at you, unemployment, death, hunger, and you'll be fearless, which means the way you overcome fear and worry, you got to somehow some way hold on to the belief that God is always with you and the question becomes how do we do that? And that leads me to my final point, you are part of the kingdom. At the end of our passage, Jesus says this in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now if you carefully study this one verse, Jesus gives us two remedies to the two reasons why we worry so much. So let's take a look at it one at a time. First he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. That phrase, kingdom of God, is scattered all throughout the New Testament. And the question is, what does he mean by that phrase? What is the kingdom of God? Well, it can mean many different things. But in the New Testament, the most prominent thing that it means is this. The kingdom of God is referring to Jesus' future reign. His entire reign, his ultimate reign over all the earth. The kingdom of God refers to the future ultimate reign of God. When Jesus comes back in his second coming, he will fully establish the kingdom of God to where everything that is broken will be fixed. Every Christian who has suffered will be relieved of their suffering. Every Christian who is lacking in anything will finally be satisfied. This is the future That is definitely yours. Not maybe yours, but will be yours if you cling to Christ as Lord and Savior. If you repent of your sin, turn in faith to Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have a future. A future that is far superior and far greater and more true than any false future that you can imagine through your worrisome mind. Which means when you worry and you start thinking about these scenarios, these worst-case scenarios that are headed your way, you have to think about the true future that you have in Jesus. You have the kingdom of God coming your way, a kingdom where God is going to fix everything, God is going to restore everything, God is going to satisfy everything that you Need A future where he is in full control, where he is fully committed to blessing you abundantly forever. Listen again to Charles Spurgeon, a powerful quote. He says this, Blessed be God that our calamities are simply a matter of time, but that our safety is a matter of eternity. When we worry, we need to reorient our future-mindedness, not to a false future, but the true future that Jesus established for us. When he died on the cross. This future of the kingdom of God is what you have to look forward to. That should eclipse any dreary fake future that you imagine in your mind. And the way that you can really believe this is remembering that God promises this future to you. And the reason why you can believe this promise is because God gave collateral. He gave a receipt. He gave a pledge to where we can be confident. What did he give? He gave us his son Jesus. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, what did he have to do? You know, he had to live a perfect life, right? He had to be perfectly obedient. He had to raise 12 disciples. He had to teach people. But you know what else he had to face? He had to face a dreary future. All throughout his life on earth, he knew there was a future coming his way that he could not avoid. A future that was scarier than any other future that it could ever come our way. Which is what? He had to face a future where a loving God for him would not exist. And that exactly happened to him on the cross. Remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Why have you abandoned me? Jesus faced the future we all fear, that we've been abandoned by God. He suffered that for us. Why? So that you would never face that future at all. See, that is the blessing of the gospel. That is the benefit of the gospel that we have. If you trust Christ as Lord and Savior... That future that you think is going to happen through your worry won't happen because Jesus experienced it for you on the cross so that you could have the future of his kingdom, the future that requires safety, a future that gives you all your needs, a future that restores everything and everyone that you've lost. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're like, well, that sounds great, that sounds good, but you know what, Pastor John, I'm not sure I can believe it. Why? Because I'm a sinner. I messed up. I've not lived a good life. I sleep with my girlfriend. I cheat on my taxes. I cheat in school. I'm cruel to my parents. I'm cruel to my children. Why should God give me this future? Yeah, I worry about life, but you know what? Sometimes I think I worry because I think I deserve this grim future that I think is coming my way. So how can I get over that? You need to remember the second thing that Jesus says here in our passage. Listen again to what he says. He says what? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then what else does he say? The righteousness of God. What is Jesus saying about us when he tells us to seek after the righteousness of God? What does that mean? He's basically saying, be righteous like God is righteous. In other words, he's basically saying, be like God. Think like God. Act like God. Behave like God, which in this particular instance means be righteous like God. Now, By making that statement, what is he saying about us? Do you know the people in our lives who are most like us, people who think like us, talk like us, and act like us? Our kids. I know most of you guys don't have kids yet, but believe me when I tell you, when you have children, your children are going to be like your mini-me. I know it's a scary thought, right, to think that there's going to be someone just like you. Your kids will imitate you, think like you, talk like you, and behave like you. And when Jesus says, be like God who is righteous, therefore be righteous like God, what is he saying? He's saying, you know what you are? You are children of God. That's why you can be like him. That's why you can be righteous. You are children of God. And do you know why you're children of God? Because the true child of God, Jesus Christ, came into this earth. And he suffered for all of your sins, all of your failures, to where even though you deserve to be orphaned, even though you deserve to be abandoned, but because Jesus fully paid and fully satisfied for all your sins, you are forever a child of God. And because you are forever a child of God, you know what that means? If God the Father is going to do for you what every loving father does for their children, ensure that you have a future. That is why you can be confident that this future of God's kingdom is coming your way, even though you messed up, even though you screwed up. Because you have a status of childness through what Jesus has done on the cross to where it can never be taken away. Brothers and sisters, how do you overcome worry? How do you overcome anxiety? You have to remember two things. First of all, you have to remember there is a future coming your way that is far greater than any doomsday apocalyptic view of the future that you think your are worrying says you're going to have. Number two, you need to remember that the reason why this future is happening is not because of how good you are, how great of a Christian you are, but because of how great Christ is and what he's done on your behalf. When you hold on to those two things, you will never worry. Or you'll worry less to the point where you'll never worry. You'll be like Amma in Africa where you can go hungry. You can be lonely. You can be literally orphaned. But you cannot fear. You cannot worry. Because the God who is always with you will always be with you. And you know that this struggle of want and lack and suffering is temporary. And the time is coming where your father will provide everything that you need. And that you'll never ever come to the belief that he has abandoned you. That is what the gospel teaches us. Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? I want to end my message on a more practical term. You know, the Bible says that if you're in Christ and if you're with other people who are in Christ, you know what that makes us? It makes us family. You know, what makes people family? What makes people family is that they share common blood, right? Like your biological sister shares the same blood that you do, right? Uh, Husband and wife share common blood with their kids who have their blood mixed together. That's common blood right there. And so husband and wife are connected in that way. Christians, how are we connected? We're connected because we share the common blood of the blood of Christ that covers us. We're family. And practically what that means is nobody in here, will ever have to worry about anything practically. If you're going through something in your life where you cannot pay for school, if you cannot pay for groceries, if you cannot pay for bills, families come together and we make sure that worry is never a true worry. If there's anyone in our community, so long as I am pastor of this church, no one in this church is going to have to worry about real vital needs being unmet. Because we're family. As family, what we need to do is encourage each other to not get so caught up in worry and anxiety and fear. And the way we do that is constantly reminding each other who we are in Christ. We are children of God. And because we are children of God, even though you're going through this hardship right now and you can't see this getting better, look further ahead. Look to the future. Look to the kingdom because that kingdom is our kingdom. That future is our future. And in the meantime, we are going to gather together as a family and make sure that you're not going to go through this grim future that you think is coming for you alone, and we're going to make sure that none of your vital needs go unmet. That's what the church is supposed to be. And so again, with all that in mind, I ask you, brothers and sisters, why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Why are you afraid? Let's pray. Father, as we think more about this chronic struggle that we all have of being fearful, of being anxious, of being worrisome. We need your mercy. We need to be reminded of the future that we have in Christ. We have the kingdom of God. And we need to be reminded this future cannot be taken away or undermined because of our sins, because through Jesus we are forever your children. And because we are forever your children, this future is secure. And God, we pray that when we go through seasons of discouragement because we're so afraid of what's coming in our lives, help us to come together as a family. Help us to encourage each other of these two truths, of the kingdom of God and of our status as children. And then let us also fill in with what is lacking that is fueling us to fear by coming together as a church family. Help us to live out this truth daily, weekly, yearly, forever as we live our lives on this earth so that we could truly be people of hope. We ask that you would enable us to always believe in these promises that you give us, most of all the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us, and that truly you are with us to the ends of the earth. Oh God, would you hear this prayer and make it effective by enabling us to worry less and less so that we can be fearless like your son Jesus, for we pray in his name, amen.